shanty town made of ragged nylon tents, like for acres. Then picture making a left and finding yourself in front of the big top of the Big Apple Circus. That's what Dr. G.H.'s crib was like. It was an ornate, beautiful tent, complete with screened windows, a covered porch, and a strip of green carpet leading across the sand to the front entrance. I glanced at Angel, and she gave me a weak smile. We were both still upset about what had happened yesterday, when I lost my cool. That morning, Venga told me not to pursue it, and part of me, I admit, just didn't want to know. I was hoping it would all just go away, so for now, I decided to pretend it hadn't happened. The tent door was pulled aside by a... a guy in white uniform who opens the tent door. What a job description. Inside, net and covered windows let in light, and electric fans kept warm air circulating. The floor was covered by oriental rugs, overlapping so there were no gaps. Our feet sank into soft plush, and I almost sighed. The doctor came into the room from behind a screened-off portion of the space and welcomed us with open arms. Come, sit, he said, once again looking fashionable and elegant. You must be hungry. I can't tell you how delighted I am to finally make your acquaintance. I've been following your history avidly. After glancing around, memorizing exits, I sat down on a leather stool beside a low table. Angel sat across from me, not next to me. I tried, unsuccessfully, not to put too much meaning into that. Following our history? Do you know a Jeb Batchelder? I asked. He looked at me blankly. Uh, no. No, I can't say I've had the pleasure. Is he a friend of yours? No. A servant came in with a silver tray piled high with food. Pastries, a pitcher of fresh juice, sliced fruit, eggs, bacon. I thought of the mush the rest of the flock was eating, not to mention the mush that the entire refugee camp was faced with day after day, and tried, unsuccessfully, to feel guilty. Please, help yourselves, said Dr. G.H., you probably require a great many calories, do you not? I know I do. My head swiveled as Dylan came into the room. His dark honey hair was wet, and he looked fresh and clean, which put him two large steps ahead of Angel and me. I almost expected a photographer to leap through the tent flaps, telling Dylan to work it. Hello, Max, Angel, Dylan said, sitting on another stool. Wow, last night seemed like a dream. I couldn't actually believe you existed, and now here you are. And I'm not alone. His face was so open and sincere, his expression as clear as his tanned skin. I felt my cheeks flush, no doubt from the first-class cup of joe I just gulped. Have some strawberries, said the doctor, pushing a silver bowl toward me. He smiled. There's more where they came from, 
so don't be shy. Not really something he needed to worry about with us. I slathered butter onto a scone, piled orange marmalade on top of that, and took a bite so I wouldn't have to say anything right away. But then I couldn't stand the awkward silence. What lab are you from? With my mouth half full. Miss Manners, I am not. Dylan's perfect brow wrinkled. Just some lab, up in Canada. I was... I was, um, cloned from another Dylan, who died in a car wreck or something. He took a bite of a pain all chocolate. I blinked. Most of the clones I'd seen were robotic, like bad special effects in a movie. Which Dylan was certainly not. How old are you? Um, about eight months, I think, he said, looking to Dr. Gunther-Hagen for confirmation. The doctor nodded. There's been a lot to learn. Like, I suck at flying. I suck at a lot of stuff, actually. He chuckled weakly and looked down at his plate, sort of embarrassed-like. I kind of felt sorry for him. Then felt angry and suspicious. We didn't know him from Adam. This could all be part of an elaborate trap. This isn't a trap, Max. I almost dropped my scone as my voice suddenly spoke up for the first time in ages. Some people have a conscience. I have a voice. An annoying, Badensky, intrusive voice. Calm down, Max. Relax and enjoy this. This is a special occasion. You see, Dylan is for you. He was designed for you. He's your perfect other half. Chapter 14 I inhaled and accidentally sucked scone crumbs down the wrong way setting off an apoplectic coughing fit that had the doctor patting my back hard, looking concerned. Made for me? My perfect other half? Are you freaking insane? My mind screamed, even as my eyes watered and I coughed and coughed, unable to bear the awful tickle at the back of my throat. Here, drink this, said Angel, handing me some juice. Can you breathe? The doctor asked. Do you need the Heimlich maneuver? Heimlich me and die. I managed to choke out, trying to take a sip. Dylan had frozen, a cluster of red grapes in his hand. His eyes were wide and watchful, as if he actually gave a crap about what happened to me. I suspected the doctor had an agenda, because nothing was ever given to us just because we were swell. Now I knew that it was sitting across from me, looking like the cover of People's Magazine, Sexy's People Issue. Are you okay? Dylan asked. I nodded and took a deep breath. Time to make like a tree and leave. I got ready to stand up. Max, don't run away. Stick this out. Don't be a coward. I almost started choking again. Stupid voice. Well, if you're only eight months old, said Angel, it'll take you a while to learn stuff. She ladled some eggs onto her plate and tucked in. I gave thanks that she was remembering to use utensils. Again, Dylan focused his eyes, the color of the Caribbean, on me. I felt like it was about 110 degrees in there, and took a swig of cold juice. Maybe I had time for another croissant. Maybe you could teach me some stuff, said Dylan. Max is a good teacher, Angel said with a conviction. It made me feel worse about going off on her yesterday, 
She didn't make up her pronouncements, just reported them. That's an excellent idea, said Dr. G.H. Max would be the perfect person to teach you, Dylan. Oh, well, I don't know, I said. Like what? Do not get yourself sucked into this, Max, I told myself. Could I see? Dylan hesitated. Then his face hardened with determination. Could I see your wings? I've never seen anyone else's. I thought about saying, you show me yours and I'll show you mine. But I had already seen his. I pushed a couple strawberries into my mouth and stood up. After making sure I had enough space, and I did, which shows you how big the wonder tent was, I shook my shoulders a little and unfolded my wings. Both Dylan and Dr. G.H. stared. They're beautiful. They're beautiful, said Dylan, sounding kind of hoarse. You really do have them, like me. I folded my wings and sat down, feeling weird, but not knowing why. Actually, Dill, you have them like me. I've had mine for 14 years, or so. A smile played around on Dylan's symmetrical features. Yes, I guess so. Either way, your wings are incredible. They're perfect. Now I was really uncomfortable, and slathered some butter onto my fourth croissant. Suddenly, I just wanted to get out of there, to get back to the others. I'd been sneaking food into my pockets, and my jacket probably weighed several pounds by now. I took one last bite and stood up again. Well, this has been fabulous, I said, my mouth full. But we better get going, and prefer more humanitarian aid. Please, stay, begged Dylan. Sorry, no can do, I said briskly. Max, we have so much more to talk about, said Dr. Seersucker pleasantly. Duty calls, I said. Ange? In a smooth movement, the doctor stepped between me and the tent's entrance. Reaching into his shirt pocket, he whipped out a syringe. Just a minute, Max. It's not that simple. Chapter 15 I smiled my evil, itching-for-a-fight smile, wishing I hadn't stuffed my pockets with bacon. This could get messy. Max, wait! Angel said. He doesn't mean his harm. And you know this because... I began sarcastically, then realized that she probably actually did know that. Dylan had a familiar alertness, a tensing of muscles that made me wonder if he'd been trained for battle. I guessed I would find out. Angela's right, said Dr. G.H. quickly. This is my clumsy way of demonstrating. Demonstrating what? I was barely able to keep a snarl out of my voice. How to get yourself beat up in one easy step? No said Dr. G.H., demonstrating the wonders of modern science. Watch. And with that, he rolled up one sleeve and swiftly injected himself with the hypo. It was something new and different, to watch a scientist experiment on himself. I liked it. Within moments, the doctor gasped, wide-eyed, sucking in breath. He groaned and staggered a bit, holding his throat, then sank down into a chair. Angel was eating a banana and watching him avidly. I sent her a question. What's going on? She looked at me and shrugged. No clue. I sat down and snagged another cup of coffee and a muffin, since it looked like this might take a while. 
For several minutes, the doctor hunched over, grimacing. Then he managed to speak in wheezy gasps. I've injected a rare strain of virus that is going to cause a rather shocking reaction. What you science types do for fun, I said with false cheer. Having grown up in a lab, I associated the words rare virus with hazmat suits. I wanted out of there. He frowned. Clearly not for fun, but for progress. Sometimes progress is painful. Now watch. Sweat broke out on his brow, and his face turned bright red. And get ready for this most horrific part, kids. All at once, his skin erupted in grotesque pustules. I jumped up. Out of here, dudes! No, wait, Max. He gasped hoarsely. The medical is about to begin. The only reasons I didn't do an up and away were A, it's hard in a tent, and B, when I did a double take, I saw that the doc's pustules were already shrinking. Could I have imagined it? I sat back down shakily. To explain it in very basic lay terms, he went on, more quickly now that he wasn't gasping for air. A number of my organs and systems, including the skin, brain, blood cells, thyroid, the entire immune system, are now working together to analyze the virus, produce the white blood cell and glandular response that will eradicate the virus and circulate it through my body, almost instantaneously. Okay, I can see how that might come in handy, I said, thinking about the sick refugees I'd seen in the camp. Especially if it puts doctors like you out of business. I don't trust doctors. The doctor smiled. You're getting the picture, Max. Because in an apocalypse, there are no doctors. There are no hospitals. And certainly no insurance companies. You are on your own. It is you against the forces of nature. Which, at this point in Earth's history, surely see it as in their best interest to eradicate the human race. Do you understand what I mean, Max? Let me give you another example. He pulled out a meat cleaver. Chapter 16 Before I had a chance to disappear, fast, Dr. Gunthenhagen had hacked off the tip of his left pinky finger. You heard me right. Angel screamed. I screamed. The madman screamed too, in pain, then regained his composure. Don't worry, children, he grunted. My biological healing system is now working together with an advanced stem cell response. I'm able to reposition my severed fingertip. He moved it back into place and pressed it to his stub with a pained expression. Or, even more miraculously, were you willing to stay with me for the next several days, you could actually watch a new one grow right back in its place. Whoa, was all I could say. Dylan looked unmoved by the whole thing. Guess people spreading new limbs was common where he came from. A moment later, the doctor held up his left hand and wiggled all five fingers. Intact. This guy was seriously starting to worry me, and I began to back slowly toward the door, ready to leap out of the way if he lunged at me with a needle. Or a meat cleaver. Angel looked excited, and I frowned. Typical yin-yang response from us. Okay, I think I get it, I said. I also get that it all seems a little too good to be true. What makes you say that? The doctor asked, 
examining his heeled finger with satisfaction. Well, that must be some pretty super mega powerful body chemistry happening there. If it can kill a virus in a single explosion, could it, say, accidentally kill you? Or you accidentally grow an ear instead of a fingertip? How about a claw? The doctor waved his hand impatiently. Of course there are bugs that need to be worked out. Certainly, overactive autoimmune response can be a tricky business, among other challenges. We're working on that, but in the meantime, we have the pharmacology to counteract the side effects. My point is, once those bugs are solved, a world of possibilities opens up. And a world of unpredictable chaos, I thought. After the apocalypse, we could all be living like cavemen again, the doctor said. We could be hunted by huge mutant carnivores, things we can't even imagine now. We need every weapon, shield, and protection in our arsenal. And here's the important thing, Max. Remember this, if you remember nothing else. We must be our own weapons. His eyes were focused intently on me. I'll just ask now. What is it about my persona that draws every insane, power-hungry nutcase to me like a magnet? We will have to survive on our own strengths. You can fly. You and the flock have gifts. Dylan here is also gifted, and in some ways different from you. But this kind of healing ability will be the difference between life and death in the near future. Wow, I said. Traditionally, I would have come up with something snappy and or scathing here. But I have to tell you, this guy unnerved me. Because in a crazy way, what he was saying made some degree of sense. It's really impressive, I said. But I don't see what it has to do with me. With us. Dr. G.H. straightened. I asked you here to discuss a possible alliance between us. A partnership, if you will. Your flock and my companies, me and Dylan. With your natural abilities and the powers of science I'm unleashing, we can, in essence, ensure the survival of humankind. We would be allies? Angel asked. No, I told her, giving her a warning look that she ignored. Again, I started to make my way toward the door. You six are the most successful recombinant DNA lifeforms ever created. Dr. G.H. went on earnestly. Until now. He motioned proudly to Dylan, who had the decency to look embarrassed. My companies are producing some of the most cutting-edge, daring science in the world today. Together, we could actually achieve your mission. To save the world. I stopped in my tracks and turned back to face him. Okay. He had insider info. Sorry. Thanks for asking but the flock works alone. I was acutely aware of Dylan's steady gaze, his tightly coiled tension as he watched the doctor. Thanks for the great breakfast, I added. I'm really impressed with your science and all, but I don't think we're the right partners for you. That was probably the most diplomatic, least obnoxious reply I'd ever given anyone in my whole life. This isn't goodbye, Max. The doctor's voice followed me as I exited the tent. And that isn't your final answer. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Max Murray bootleg audiobook podcast thing. I am your Oliver Murky.
and uh, I don't really have any announcements for this. I'm kind of tired, so I'm gonna <laughs> go go into this a little quickly. So let's do the recommendation for this week. This week's recommendation is the YouTube channel Defunct Land by Kevin Perger. This is a channel where Kevin goes into deep dives about defunct rides, theme parks, things of that nature, uh, TV shows as well, and just goes through the entire history of them and it's honestly really fascinating. These are very much not topics that I would go to research on my own, but he does it in such an interesting way that keeps it really fascinating and like really engaging without feeling like I'm being taught a lesson at school, you know? <laughs> uh, so far, my personal favorites are his documentary about Disney's Fast Pass, and recently he put up a video that was talking about the mystery behind the, uh, the Disney Channel jingle you know, the, you're watching Disney Channel, dun, 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 dun. Because he was looking for it and he couldn't find anywhere, like, who actually wrote that. So he went on this huge, huge deep dive on who made it. He interviewed a ton of people that worked at Disney. Actually, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about it anymore because I want you to go watch the video because it's really, really good. Like, calling it a video is kind of doing it a disservice because it's literally... An hour and a half long like it's it, it's just really good i also really like his handwich video which i also highly recommend checking out uh, it was this weird invention that disney tried to make happen this channel isn't solely based on disney but just the nature of disney and how long the company has been running how many failures they've had in their lifetime a lot of the channel is Disney, but there's a bunch of other things too that you might not know about. He does a lot of stuff on like puppets and Muppets, uh, other defunct TV shows. He's a video about the history of Ubi, that show with the little hand puppets that have eyeballs on them. Uh, Dragon Tales. If you're into any sort of like whatever happened to this TV show, uh, I would highly recommend checking out Defunct Land. He has a ton of videos. They're all very well put together, especially his recent videos. So I will leave a link in the show notes to his channel. That is Kevin Perger over at Defunct Land on YouTube. If you want to get in contact with me, you can email me at MaximumCrimePod at gmail.com or hit me up on my Tumblr over at Maximum-Crime-Pod. And if you want to leave me a rating review, that would be super cool of you to do. Alrighty, I think that's all I got to say for this time. So, until next time, fly on. <laughs> <laughs>